Thanks for tuning in to listen to this week's Torah study class. Stay tuned after the Torah study for details on how to stay in touch with this ministry and keep up with all of our content. I hope you enjoy the study. Shalom, everybody. We're back. This is the Torah of Messiah. We are doing our Bible survey, and we are in Vayikra, the book of Leviticus, chapter 15, and let's just dive into it. And Yahweh spoke unto Moshe and to Aaron, saying, Speak unto B'nai Israel, and say unto them, When any man has an issue out of his flesh, his issue is unclean, and this shall be his uncleanness in his issue. Whether his flesh runs with his issue or his flesh is stopped from his issue, it is his uncleanness. Every bed whereon he, he that has the issue lies shall be unclean. Everything whereon he sits shall be unclean. And whoever touches his bed shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And he that sits on anything whereon he that has the issue shall sit shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean till evening. And he that touches the flesh of him that has the issue shall wash his clothes, bathe himself in water and be unclean till evening. He that has the issue spits upon him that is a, that is clean, then he shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until evening. Whatever saddle he that he has that the issue rides upon shall be unclean, and whoever touches anything that was under him shall be unclean until the evening. He that bears those things shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean till evening. And whoever he that has the issue touches without having rinsed his hands in water, he shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and he'll be unclean until evening. The earthen vessel which he that has the issue touches shall be broken, and every vessel of wood shall be rinsed in water. He that, When he that has an issue is cleansed of his issue, then he shall number himself seven days for his cleansing and wash his clothes, and he'll be bathed his flesh in running water, water and shall be clean. On the eighth day, he'll take to him. To, okay, I'm going to stop right there. So we've gotten down to verse 14. All of this is about an issue coming out of the body of a man. Everybody knows what that is. I'm not going to have to go into detail about it. Give me more than one thing, I'm pretty sure. Um, but do you see that most of this is clinical slash medical slash hygienic? Absolutely. Doesn't that make sense that that's what this is? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is yeah. public health. It's, it it's, for, it's for public health, absolutely. It's to, keep, yeah. it's to keep disease from spreading. All right. It's to stop the causes of disease. And um, so the unclean in here, the word there, let's look at it, is tame. All right. Tame is simply that dirty. All right, contaminated would be another translation. That's what unclean means. Yeah. And the reason I'm pointing that out is because there is a time when Tame is talking about a spiritual thing. But clearly, in these verses, this is talking about physical stuff, right? So, what does Tame pertain to other than health? And not spirituality, because I don't believe this is related to a spiritual thing. Sometimes you have things happen in your body that you didn't do. It just happened, right? So is let me ask it this way. Is this a moral issue? No. No. Not yet. 
No, it's just a thing that happened. It happened. The, the, the person who did this is not guilty of anything except being a human being, right? Thank you. Maybe came in contact with something that caused an infection or whatever, but other than that, no, there's no sure. Man. Humans do that. We walk around and we touch other junk, you know? Right, exactly. So and it and it caused us to bleed or it caused us to emit other bodily fluids. And and that's not that that's not a, a sin, right? The right. sin part of this would be what in particular to this audience that we are reading about. When would it become sin? If they when, didn't they didn't follow they didn't follow instructions. Or bring whatever sickness or disease you have to the, your fellow man. Yeah, if you deliberately do it, that would be sin, right? Yes. What else? You got you gotta think of the context here. No. Well, they will transmit the the uh, contamination to others. We already said that. Oh, okay. Does it, it, the temple? Thank you. You couldn't go into the temple. This is about ritual oh, purity. Yes. Yes. All right. You could not go to the temple if you were in such a state and you had not done the requisite thing, which was wait until the the, the evening and wash to be clean. In all the cases, that was the remedy, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Wash yourself, wait till evening, then you'll be clean, right? Right. So then it becomes a bigger issue with God, right? So let's go back down to verse 14. On the eighth day, so he's clean the evening, but then eight days later, after being cleansed, then he has to go back to the temple with two turtle doves, two young pigeons, and come before Yahweh unto the door of the Ohel Moed and give them to the Kohen. And the Kohen will offer them, the one for a chatat and the other for an olah. And the Kohen shall make atonement for him before Yahweh for his issue. So it is, it is critical in regard to temple worship. He stayed out because he was unclean, and now he's coming back in. On the eighth day. On the eighth day, but he has to make purification again so he can do that. Mm -hmm. Right? And notice that it's a minimal offering. It's just turtle doves and pigeons, right? Mm -hmm. It's nothing to And the eighth day meaning a renewal? Sure. Like, like you're new, like you're brand new again. Yep. Joe? So my question here with that verse that you have highlighted is we just <clears throat> we just finished saying that there was no sin involved. It's just a thing that happens. Yes, you can't do this. You can't do that. You can't go to the temple. But why would you offer a chatat, a sin offering, if there was no sin involved with the issue? Because you were bodily unclean. All right, and you and and you you need to be restored to the temple. Atonement is a covering, and and I guess the thing that I'm saying is all of us there always has to have been an offering in order to begin worship in the temple, right? 
So he's been out for eight days. So he's got to start over. It's kind of like what Tracy said. It's kind of a renewal. Uh, but I still, you know, to a, to atone for him for his issue. All right. So maybe there was a moral reason why he got whatever issue he got. We know that some of those issues come from like what immorality. my wife said, immorality in regard to sexual, sexual sins. Right. Yeah. So maybe there was a moral issue there, but we can't just ipso facto state that, right? <laughs> um, but <clears throat> whatever the case was, the primary thing is to restore and to worship in the house of God. Uh-huh. Any thoughts? All right. I had a question. Did, okay. did he do that just once or did he do that each day until the seven days had passed? You just do do what? The, you know, cleaning his clothes, washing. Just once. Is that just once. Okay. Just once. To go to the temple. Exactly. He was clean in the evening, but he had to wait eight days before he returned to the temple. All right. If the flow of seed goes out from a man, then he shall bathe all his flesh in water and be unclean until evening. Every garment, every skin whereon this was the flow of seed shall be washed with water and be unclean until the evening. The woman also with whom a man shall lie carnally, they shall both bathe themselves in water and be unclean until evening. All right. So this is why some people believe that there shouldn't be marital relations before Shabbat because they don't want to be unclean when they go to the synagogue. Well, we're not talking about the temple is not the synagogue, or I'm sorry, the synagogue is not the temple. Right. All right. The question. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, the carnal part, like carnal, it was fleshly. Isn't isn't carnally usually used when it's illegal? No, it just means flesh. Okay. It's just it's just it's just a, a euphemistic way to say that he went to bed with his wife. Okay. All right. Um, we can look at the word. It's verse eighteen to see exactly what it's saying. But a lot of times these these words are idiomatic because God doesn't speak foul. Right. He's not okay. trying to invoke images in people's minds. Asher yishkav ishota. So that word right there actually means bed. Shachav is what you say, I'm going to bed. The bed is the mitah, but shachav is a bed or the act of bedding. Are you with me? Wow. So isha asher yishkav, a, man, a woman who will bed a man, her, a man will bed her. Are you with me? A husband and a wife. The, the woman and man there is also husband and wife. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, so it's a it's just a clean way of talking about what we're talking about. Wow. But I, it's funny how that word carnally gets there, though. Mm. Yeah, because 
he's not talking about just lying in bed next to her. Okay. It's funny. We try to talk so plain and what we think we're talking clean and describing something, how God describes it. And it's talking clean is so clean that we don't understand. (laughs) Yeah. What verse is that? I mean, what chapter is that? 15, 18. 15. Okay. And then we have the very same thing for a woman, but she's in her impurity for seven days. This is what we all know about women, what happens pretty frequently with women. We all know what we're talking about, right? Yep. Whoever touches her shall be unclean until evening. Everything she lies upon will be unclean. Everything that she sits on, whoever touches her, it's all the same kind of stuff, right? If yes. he's on the bed or on anything whereon she sits, when she touches it, he'll be unclean. If any man lies with her in her impurity, is upon see that that kind of so let's look at 24. The im shachov yishkav. And if shachov yishkav, he will surely lie with the woman, with her, the man with her, all right? So that kind of proves what we're talking about, right? That this is more than just going to bed and sleeping. Are you with me? Yes, sir. Well, yeah. The emission part. Her impurity is upon him. He shall be unclean seven days, and every bed where he lies will be unclean. So basically what we're being told here is to take a bath. (laughs) Right? Uh, If a woman has an issue of blood for many days, not in the time of her impurity or beyond the time of her impurity, all the days of the issue of her uncleanness shall be as the days of impurity. She is unclean. Every bed, so it's the same kind of thing. Whoever touches those things, she shall number herself seven days, and after that she shall be clean. So she's not clean until seven days later. But the eighth day, the same offering is made. Do you see that? Yeah. She's doing a chatat and an olah, and the Kohen shall make atonement for her before Yahweh. And I guess what I need to state is the reason that we deal with these things is because of the, the general sin condition of mankind. Adam and Eve didn't have these problems. But of course not. You realize that? So Daniel. we're all, we're all, uh-huh. we're all in, a, in a state of sinfulness, always, right? Um, I frequently ask Yeshua to forgive me, and I may not have a, an egregious sin in the forefront of my mind, but yet I want to be cleansed. Are you with me? Mm. So the state of our sinfulness is always there is the point that I'm trying to make. So it's always proper to give a chat or no law, right? Mm-hmm. All right, Elizabeth. But. Uh- when they talk about the cleanliness of the woman, uh, I have a little issue because I think that this is a natural process. In it is the, a natural, 
Yeah, it's a natural process. I it's agree. A natural process. It's nothing that the woman has been like attaching something. It's coming from the natural or the the character of the physical um, structure of the woman. I so agree. And, that, and the same is true of men. Men emit things just without their fault as well. That's kind of how we started this. But blood carries pathogens, and pathogens can cause disease. So, and again, that's why I want you to focus on the fact that this is not so much the individual that is sinning. This is the sin condition of mankind that is causing these things. All right. Women would never, women would never have had to go through that mm-hmm. had we not sinned. And women were the weaker vessel and brought sin into the world. They were the, they were the instigator of it from Hasatan. They were the weaker vessels. Satan went to her and attacked her. And so this is the, this is the result of it. So God is giving a remedy for the sin, the sinful state that we're all in. But at the same time, this is a hygienic issue. Mm, it's a little hard to swallow for me. Well, that's probably because you're a woman and it's, and it kind of hits home <laughs> because yeah, it's not your fault that you're having, that you grow up with that, you know? Um, but again, also, also it's something healthy. I see that as something that is healthy because when women don't have this, they can get sick. And now sure. they has been like a, um, promoting uh, injection and promoting pills for the woman to be without that. That's mm-hmm. another, now, this is a very interesting issue because uh, it goes again creation and it goes again the desire of God to to, to pro- prolong life, to give life. Yeah, mankind is always trying to find ways to modify the creation, but that's, so I, I want to go back to the, to stress the point that this is a result of the sin condition of all humanity. And men emit things too. We just don't do it as often. As, you know, a man can lie in bed and, and have a nosebleed and wake up with a bloody nose the next morning. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, you know, so the issue of blood coming from a woman, yeah, it's nothing that she did. It's no sin. Um, but the reason there is a hatat, a sin offering, just like for the man, when he had an admission that he had no control over and he didn't instigate, he didn't cause it. The reason that there is an offering there is because of the general sinful state of mankind. We're we're always in a state of sin until Yeshua washes us clean. Okay. So the, the, the important thing to remember is this is a hygienic issue more than it is anything else. It's for hygiene. And the, the, the cycle is a little uh, more than just blood coming out of the body that would be a, a blood emission from a man. So it's, it, you know, scientifically, I don't know. Maybe it's more dangerous pathogenically, if that's a word. All right. So it, it's not just a minute. It's not. Yeah. It's not an individual sin issue. Absolutely not, Dorcas. Um, I think that there are pro the the pro, we have problem in the modern society with the word sin, but the word sin doesn't have all the attributes that we have attached to it. Sure. 
uh, because in some terms, sin, like sin is recognizing that you did something wrong is the best thing that could ever happen mm. to you because it empowers you to change whatever it is that you did. Which you, power you didn't have if you didn't recognize that you were doing something wrong. And in in terms, that's why we like we we get or feisty about the the word sin because we don't understand what it means. And also, um, again, as you say, uh, in this in this issue, it's not saying it's not putting the woman making her less than the man. They both have different uh, situations. They have to deal with it in a certain way. That's that's. That's it. That's right. And like I said, th this this particular issue <laughs> uh, is just probably a little bit more of a hygienic issue than others. Um, and, you know, God put women in that state because of the sin in the garden. Um, it's redeemable, and that's what God is doing, is redeeming it here and reminding us that all of us need to be redeemed. But bigger than that, this is a hygienic issue, I believe, more than anything. All right. So the sin, the, the hatat, and I'm trying to find that again, what verse that was in. Daniel, could I say something? In a minute. Okay. The hatat is the sin offering that she's making. But you remember, who remembers what the hatat was? for all the other sin offerings in the temple. What was it? A bullock, right? A bullock. A whole lot more expensive than a couple of birds. Oh, all yeah. right? And so that's showing you this is not some major issue that women have. This mm -hmm. is no more, the, the offering is no more than what a man has if he wakes up with a nosebleed. Right. Do you see the point that I'm trying to make? Yes. I do. Okay. What'd you have? Yes. And I, um, think, I don't, like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if this is helpful or hasn't it, but, but we don't understand. We, we frankly don't understand everything about blood. Why should the blood of an animal administered in the temple with a proper frame of mind and devotion to Abba? Why should that make something clean? Blood cleans things if it's the right blood. So we don't understand everything about blood. There, there may be things that we, you know, it's just, it's just what the Torah says. That's right. All right. So uh, Dorcas said something that is that was very astute, and I want to go over it. This word hatat in this context is meaning sin offering, but it's also the word for sin itself. And hata without the tav on it, the hata or hat is missing the mark and so like Dorcas said we christians put a big uh, stigma on the word sin as if one little sin and all of a sudden you're just a rotten person and what it is is it's a mistake it's a uh, an imperfection if you will the the torah is an archery term as well. And so is hata, which is, mm -hmm. hata is missing the mark and the Torah is aiming at the mark. Mm -hmm. All right. So that's what, that's what sin is. And, and it's not, 
you know, sometimes it's not so horrible as people make it out to be. And that was the problem with the Puritans and Middle East, medieval people who, who uh, and, and even the, the, the Catholics for centuries, who made sin such a big thing that, that they used it as a bludgeon of fear. All right. And so a lot of people still carry that when they think about sin today. All right. Yes, it needs to be dealt with. And yes, you need to be contrite over your more grievous sins, which are those that you commit against other people and against God. And uh, uh, but it's we do need to start sort of altering the way that we think about it and not being so ah, worried about it every time we hear the word. What you got, Tracy? Well, I was going to say, just like when a woman has a baby, she's she can't go into the temple for depending on the boy or girl that she has for several days. It's not a sin. I mean, it's a blessing to have children, you know. So, you know, kind of even in that state, you know, you're unclean, you know, until your purity, until, you know, the, your time is up when it comes to having a baby. So it's like you say, understanding that. And and taking it to the extreme, like like we do with with our our own thinking, but knowing that God is infinite in, in His wisdom, and and we just gotta trust it that it's not a sin so egregious that we gotta look at it like that. Mm-hmm. All right, and and it would be where it would become sin, and we already talked about this, but we kind of went a little quickly. But where it would become sin is if you ignored it and became unhygienic and just started walking around spreading disease everywhere you went. Then you'd be, then that's just not right. And that's what sin is, is that's not right. <laughs> right? Uh, it would not be right for anyone who's had bodily emissions to just live in that state and take it everywhere they go. And what God is showing us here is that you're spreading that uncleanness around. So in this context, I believe uncleanness is more talking about disease than it is anything else. Mm-hmm. And I, I also think that today, for example, we have a lot of tools that we could use to keep us, to keep everything under control. But back exactly. in the day, it wasn't the case. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Makes sense. All right, we're going to move on. Chapter 16. 16. And Yahweh spoke unto Moshe after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near before Yahweh and died. And Yahweh said unto Moshe, Speak unto Aaron, your brother, that he comes not at all times into Hakodesh within the parochet before the kaporet, which is upon the Aron, so he will not die. So those are four words most of you probably know, but for those who might be new or watching later, Akodesh is the holy place behind the parochet. The parochet is that big veil, which is 30 feet tall or more and four inches thick. That's that big scarlet veil behind my head, if you can see the little picture of me. All right. Before the kaporet, the kaporet is on the Ark of the Covenant, which is upon the Aron, the Ark. All right. So those are, that's what we're talking about. He, 
He cannot come all the time into behind, go, he cannot go behind that veil into the Kodesh, HaKodesh, the holy place, where the ark is, where the Kippurah is. That's basically what this is saying. Maureen, what you got? Um, I, I'm sorry, I was trying to look how to unmute and raise my hand. I wanted to say it before you moved on to 16, but the miracle of the healing when Yeshua healed that woman who had the blood issue for all of those years, I was thinking of that. Not only was she healed of the physical discomfort of that, she wasn't able to go into the temple the That's entire right. time. 12 years she could not worship. That's wow. Right. I mean, that I started thinking of that. It's even so much more magnified in my mind now. Yep. That miracle. That's all I wanted to say. Sure. Very good. All right. So wait, Hakodesh, I think I'm getting my, I'm getting it mixed up. The holy place, but within the parachet, isn't that the, isn't it called the Kodashim, the holy, holy of holies? Kodesh Hakarashim, yes. So the holy place, meaning the the place where everybody could go, but behind the parachet is what he was saying he can't go to. That's right. So the place behind the curtain is also a holy place. He just didn't give it its full name here, but he specified it behind or within the parochet. Okay, okay. All right. In front of the kaporet, which is the covering on the ark where the carabim are, which is upon the aron. So we're talking about the room that the ark sits in specifically. Okay. Don't go in there at all times so he will not die. And then God says, for I appear in the cloud upon the kaporet. Mm -hmm. All right. Now let's look at that phrase that's in the end of verse two. For in the cloud, I will appear upon, coming down upon, which is the seat of atonement. All right. So everybody probably has in their mind if they ever tried to think of what that might look like a cloud just hanging over the ark and that's it right <laughs> does anybody see it a little deeper now after having studied the scriptures for one three five years the hebrew scriptures i should i should say <laughs> It's, it's thick and heavy, that's for sure. So that's all you see is a cloud? No. Because no, what what about what about uh when Moshe saw the burning bush and he saw the figure in the burning bush? Do you think there was a figure over the copperhead as well? I do. Mm. Mm -hmm. Wow. He doesn't say. I'm appearing as a cloud over the kaport. He says, I am appearing in Be'anan. Wow. 
I have what? a question about this. It's crazy. I sat here and watched you read that and saw that word, the whole thing, and didn't see in the class. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It's plain as the nose on your face. I appeared in the cloud. I appeared Hallelujah. in the cloud. I have a... Hello, well, hello everyone. Hello. Hi. Hey, Daniel. I wanted to ask about this. Uh, one of the like episodes that just just amazed me right in uh, the Brihada shop is when Yeshua goes up and he takes a few of the Tamadim mm -hmm. and then he is surrounded by a cloud, right? And then he's speaking to Moshe and to, I think uh, I forget the other one. Uh, Eliyahu. 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 Mm -hmm. And that, I mean, I would love to see that in, a, in like in a scene in some way. That could, that's on TV. But uh, same scene. Yeah. So this is what comes to mind. Yeah. This is like. Absolutely. Absolutely. That was good. Dan. And so you you can see over my my it's my left shoulder. You might see it as my right shoulder from your purview. But over my left shoulder is that cloud of incense burning. Yeah. That's how pic people picture what's behind the veil once yeah. a year. Yeah. Right? But I don't, and I used to, I confessed it. I used to think that way, but I don't anymore. Me I either. think that the Malach Yahweh, which is, of course, a pre-manifestation of Yeshua before he became a human being, hovering over or even perhaps standing on that seat. Wow. All right. That's what I see now. And I know some people probably think I'm a whack job, but that's who's been talking to Israel all this time, right? Wow. Yeah. And you can clearly see him standing in the bush, right? Yes. Why would it be any different over his ark when he tells Moshe at the bush, the place where you're standing is holy ground? Well, what are we talking about? What room are we talking about in the temple? And the guess holy, what? Holy one. Hakodesh. Kodesh, Holy one. And I guess know. what? Yeshua, Yeshua was on the Haporet uh, uh, to forgive the sins for Israel once a year. And he did the same thing for the world. Bingo. Bam. Yeah. The Bam. son also has the power to forgive sins. Yes. That's right. So you could say that when we are looking at the tree upon which Yeshua hung, that we are looking at the Holy of Holies. Ah, uh, spiritually. <laughs> because what happened when Yeshua was hanging on the tree? The blood was torn. The, the, the veil was torn. And there's a lot of layers to that, you know. The tearing of God's robe, right? When Yeshua died, he rent his robe, just like Israel tore his robe when he died. Joseph was dead. He was, God was mourning. That's right. Uh, but the, the holy place was moved away from that hill. Yes, right. It was gone there. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, to me, that's big. Oh, yeah. I I really wonder at all the meanings because you just said a lot of things that I never took into consideration. Right. Like the Lord 
you know, breaking his rope, and the same thing, paralleling it with uh, with Jacob doing it. So those those are that's it's, it's rich in meaning that you cannot just hmm. understand it when you read it. Yeah. That's I don't know if it's for the translation, but you know, those those are things that are really enriching. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, but you know, you can see it in the English. He says it as plain as day there. For I appear in the cloud, <laughs> in the cloud. But we gloss over it because we see what has been put in our mind beforehand, right? it's you know we're programmed to believe certain things by the world you know and we get them in there and we think that's the way it is and so when something new comes along it's kind of hard to let go of it especially if mommy gave it to you or mm -hmm. favorite preacher gave it to you or pope gave it to you um and so you know i love the fact that he appeared that a cloud was hanging over the ark of the covenant i love that but I love the person inside the cloud. Just yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> a cloud is just a cloud, a cloud, a cloud. But what's yeah, well, that's why that cloud is the Ruach HaKodesh. And that's why I say I love that cloud. But that cloud wouldn't be there if it weren't for the person standing in it. Right. Mm -hmm. All right. People today do the same thing. They worship the Holy Spirit less than they do Yeshua and certainly way less than they do the Father. Some people. When when I see the Malach Yahweh, I am seeing all that God is manifesting in a human-like body. Right. right? Right. Yeah. And that cloud is just signifying that his presence is there. Mm -hmm. Only Aaron could go and go in and look and speak. Right. And that's what we're seeing is this this would happen once a year. And, you know, it almost makes it less mystical. Exactly. You know, it takes a whole that, lot more personable. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Herewith shall Aaron come into HaKodesh. So he can't go behind the veil, excuse me, behind the veil, unless he goes with these things. A young bullet for a chatat, a sin offering, and a ram for an olah, a burnt offering. He shall put on the consecrated linen tunic so that white, I'm sorry, that techelet blue linen tunic, linen tunic that was made for him. He'll have that on. He shall have the linen breeches on his flesh and he'll be girded with the girdle and with the linen miter. That's the crown like puffy thing on his head. Um, he will be attired. They are the consecrated garments and he shall bathe his flesh in water and put them on. Um, let's look at that verse four, bathe his flesh in water and put them on. Wash in water, the elephant of his gospel, <laughs> his body. All right, and he shall take of the assembly of the sons of Israel two he goats for a chatat and one ram for an Allah. So there's another one, right? I want you to go back and see this. 
Here's a khatat up here, a bullock and a ram for an Allah. And here is a khatat, two he goats and a ram for an Allah. So what's the difference? The animals. Mm, the animals are slightly different, but why do we need two sin offerings and two burnt offerings? It's Wait, there. For the priest. And oh, for the priest and for, the, and for Israel. The one is for Aaron. The first one is for himself. The second one is for the sons of Israel. Uh -huh. They're bringing those, right? Mm -hmm. You got to remember that the Levites have certain animals and, and stock and fruits and food and all of that stuff given to them, right? One third of whatever, whatever Israel brings belongs mm -hmm. to the Levites. So they yeah. have to bring their stock. Mm -hmm. Right. Right? But the sons of Israel bring from theirs. Okay. Aaron shall present the bullock of the Hatat, which is for himself, that proves it, and make atonement for himself and his house. He shall take the two goats and set them before Yahweh at the door of the Ohel Moed, the tent of meeting. And our own shall cast lots upon the two goats, one lot for Yahweh and one other lot for Azazel. All right. You're going to go there? And I'm thinking how, how deep I want to go into that. <laughs> Do it. I think you should maybe not go so deep, but explain that just to, on the surface. It has to be explained, yeah. So first of all, let's, let's talk about what we're talking about. We're talking about the two goats for the sin offering for Israel, right? And we know from hindsight that this only happens on Yom Kippur, right? Right. We found out up here that it's once a year. We find out in other places that it's on Yom Kippur, which is the 10th day of the first Kodesh of the sacred year. I'm sorry, of the secular year, the seventh Kodesh of the sacred year. Right. That's Yom Kippur. So he's taking a Hatat. And the Hatat is two goats. So both goats atone for sin, but something is different is done with each goat. One of the goats is selected by lot to be cast for Yahweh if it gets one lot. The other for Azazel if it gets the other. And if I am remembering right, it's been a few years since I looked, looked at it, but they would put a stone, two stones in a bag. And one stone would be black and one stone would be white. And I believe the white one was for Yahweh and I believe the black one was for Azazel. I hope I'm right. I could be wrong. It's been a long time since I looked at it. And the, he would reach in with his right hand and pick one. He would reach in with his left hand and pick one. And usually the white one would come up and I'll say it more specifically this way, usually the one for Yahweh would come up into the right hand. And the one for Azazel would come up into the left hand. Usually that's how it happened. All right. But they would, whichever goat they were holding when the lot was drawn, that goat would be for that purpose. Right. So, um, one being for Yahweh, one being for Azazel. We're going to talk about him in a minute, what Azazel is. 
and our own shall present the goat upon which the lot fell for Yahweh and offer him for a sin offering. So this goat gets killed, right? Mm -hmm. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be set alive before Yahweh to make atonement over him, over the goat, to send him away for Azazel into the wilderness. And our own shall present the bullock of the Chatat, which is for himself, and shall make atonement for himself and for his house, and shall kill the bullock of the Chatat, which is for himself. Let's back up. That's getting a little further than I wanted to go. Mm -hmm. All right. So for this, for these two goats, he's doing these first, right? So... <clears throat> Let's look at Azazel. Some of you know this. It's review. Azazel. A lot of people teach that this is a chief of demons. Hmm. Azazel. Oz is strength. Those first two letters by themselves is strength. Ezel means to take away, to reduce, to diminish, if I'm remembering right. So the people of Israel are putting sin upon that goat, right? And sending it away and sending the goat to Azazel, right? What we know from history that's not in the text, what we know that Israel did from the Mishnah is that they would send that goat to a particular place in the wilderness, Bamidbar, and drive it over a cliff to make sure that it died, all right? And didn't wander around forever, all right? So, the thing that I'm trying to point out, and I'm trying to do it gingerly and clearly at the same time, is we're not making an offering to Azazel. Mm -hmm. Are you with me? Mm -hmm. It's yeah. not a sacrifice to another god. You're sending the goat to Azazel, which might just be in reference to the place. But it is taking the strength of sin with it, Right? And so I think there's a picture here because when Yeshua comes back, what flocks does he see on the earth when he puts his foot down? The sheep. She said flocks. Shelly? Sheep. What else? I know there's sheep and goats. And goats, yeah. Sheep and goats. He separates the sheep and the goats, right? Right. Yeah. And the implication is the goats are the rebellious ones who would not follow God. Sheep are compliant and follow God. All right? Um, some people don't know that they're a goat. Some people don't know that they're, they're, they are sheep or are supposed to be sheep. Okay, we're supposed to be humble before God, recognizing our utter need of him all the time as a protector and a provider. But some people don't see God that way. 
all right? And they see God's guidance as an act of compassion, the sheep do. The goats see God's guidance as interference in their lives, right? And so the goats that Yeshua finds on earth when he gets back are judged by the word of his mouth and they die. <laughs> A thousand years later, they are raised from the dead. And then they are cast out over the cliff into the, the abyss forever. And I think that's the picture that you're seeing here. And it just so happens that just before those people are cast into that lake of fire, who was? Asatan. Asatan was cast into that lake of fire. So that's what I see here is it's a picture of Hasatan being cast into the lake of fire and, and anyone else who follows him. Whereas even though they were goat, it was another goat. It wasn't a sheep for the sin offering. What do we know about that? What do we know about all the sheep who are sheep when Yeshua returns? What do we know about that in regard to their, their character? They hear his voice. His chiefs hear his voice and follow him. Follow him. What did they always do that? Were they just born? No, some of the, it some was of scattered. the sheep were goats. All of the sheep used to be goats. Yeah. They're um, all they're all um every last one of us used to be rebellious and cantankerous against God's word. Even some people were rebellious even after they heard of Yeshua. Yeah, I like the idea of, of him forgiving me for my sin, but that doesn't mean I have to follow him. It doesn't mean I have to do the Torah. Are you with me? Mm -hmm. Yes. Change of nature. All right. And so if someone's nature does not change because they would not accept the gospel of the priest who washed himself <laughs> and, 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 and became the offering, they wouldn't accept that gospel. They remain a goat, and they're cast over the cliff. So I see a picture here. Any thoughts? I see it. Mm -hmm. Very good. So I might even get a little anal about it and go and change this too. Mm -hmm. So that no one, I don't, I don't like the notion of people thinking that we're making a sacrifice to a different God. And I think some people do think that. How many of you have struggled with that the first time you read it? I, I did. You did, Jim? Yeah, I didn't understand it. Yeah, me too. I, I, I didn't understand what, what, who was what. Right. <laughs> yeah. You'll present the bullock for the chatat. So there is the bullock for the chatat. There's the other side of it. That's the transformed person. Are you with me? Who has to die to Messiah anyway, right? Mm. Which is for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house and kill the bullock of the chatat, which is for himself. He'll take the censer full of coals from the fire from off the Mizbeach before Yahweh and his hands full of sweet incense, beaten small, and bring it within the parochim. So now he's going inside. He'll put the incense upon the fire before Yahweh, that the cloud of the incense may cover the kaporet that is upon the testimony. So he will not die. 
and he shall take the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it with his finger upon the caporet on the east. And before the caporet shall he sprinkle the blood with his finger seven times. So there is a whipping motion that they're doing. And I read a book years ago written by a historian talking about the Jews in Ethiopia who worshipped on two different islands. They worshipped on Elephantine Island in the Nile River for 400 years, and they worshipped on, uh, can't remember the name of the island, but it's in Ethiopia for 800 years. So 1,200 years of worshipping, and they say they did it with the ark. There's no emphatic proof of that, but the evidence is strong that they had the ark but they were able to describe the whipping motion. This, this historian went out there to that Axum. No, Axum is the city. I can't remember the name of the island, but I think it does start with an A. It's a little island in a lake in Ethiopia where Jews worshiped sacrifices, offered sacrifices for 800 years. So today's Jews and the Temple Institute, the people who are trying to put together the next temple actually consulted the Ethiopian Kohanim who performed those sacrifices uh-huh. to find out what did what did you guys do for the for the to sprinkle the blood? And they would show them this. I pictured the motions sort of like this. By the way that, that it was described. I read the book 20 years ago, so it, you know I am working off of memory, but that's how I picked them up the pictured the motion. So that's what they would do is scatter the blood seven times. Was it 400 years or 800 years? Because you said 400, then you said 800. Because it's two different places. You didn't pay attention. Oh, oh. <laughs> different places, but is it two different? Would it be Would it be 800 or 400? Because they did it at the same time? 400 years in one place, and then 800 years in another place. Oh, okay. So 400 and 800. Yes. Copy. All right. Then shall he kill the goat of the Hatat that is for the people. Bring his blood within the parochet. So Aaron has to atone for himself and his family with a bullock. And then for the people, a goat, the other goat for the Hatat, and bring it behind the parochet and do the same thing with the blood <laughs> on the Kippurit. And he shall make atonement for Hakodesh, the holy place, because of the uncleanness of B'nai Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins. Mm. So shall he do for the Ohel Moed that dwells with them in the midst of their uncleanness. So I want to look at this phrase right here, 16. Atonement for the Kodesh. Kiper al HaKodesh mitumot from the uncleanness of B'nai Yisrael, umi fishehem, look at this, fishehem lechol chatotam. Fishehem, and the way we're reading it down here is because of their transgressions, even all their sins. If I read this literally, their transgressions for all of their sins. And the reason I'm pointing this out is 
We just did in the Hebrew class. Do you see it? Mm. This puts it in the construct state and turns it to possessive plural. All right. But it's transgressions of their sins. All right. Are you with me? Just want you to look a little bit deeper. So when you, when it talked about, I just got dizzy from all of that. Atonement, to make atonement. No. Atonement for the Hachadesh. Yeah. Let's it down. Mm, can you come with that a little bit? Atonement for well, you got human beings about to walk into the place, and it has to be a holy place. And so, even though they're making the offerings, the place itself has to be set apart. Basically, you have to make sure the place is set apart. That's the only thing I can come up with. Mm, okay. All right. It's a holy place, but it has to be kept holy. And the way God says to keep it holy before you walk in or when you walk in is to do this. All right. So it just means that the blood has to be offered in, an, in another way for the sanctuary itself. And Paul talked about this. The upper set, the, the sanctuary that Yeshua went into did not mm -hmm. need to be atoned for because it wasn't made by man. Man didn't hang around it. Man didn't have a chance to defile the one up in heaven. This one, you know, yeah, they could yeah. have done things that they didn't know <clears throat> they did wrong and got right. rectified. Gotcha. All gotcha. right. Yes. Is there any chance that that first anointing of the temple was at Yom Kippur also? It was at Sukkot. Sukkot, okay. Actually, no. Let me make a correction. The first anointing for the for the service in the temple was at Passover. That's okay. And doesn't that fit the prophetic model anyway? Because Yeshua died at Passover, but he made atonement for us for Yom Kippur. Oh, mm -hmm. yes, he did. There shall be no man in the Ohel Moed when he goes in to make atonement in Hakodesh. So no one could be in the sanctuary where my head is sitting virtually. No priest could be in there when he went into the Holy of Holies. Make sure you understand that. Has everybody got it? No man shall be in the tent of meeting. And that's what the, so the one behind me is the stone tent of meeting. That's what you're seeing is the sanctuary, the mikdash. All right. No priest could be in there when Aaron did wow. his thing. Had to be empty. So he's mm. the only one in the whole building. Never saw that. Can I ask a question? Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> we know that. The, the the Torah was um, the, the the tablets were placed into the ark. Yep. Now, at this point, I guess scribes had rewritten it 
and when they went to study it or you know for the for the people a lot of people out there and for them to know and and learn this when did they when did they like do this on Shabbat I mean cuz they were in their dwellings on Shabbat or did they literally come out and hear it from they came out to hear it so Hmm. Now, okay. it, what they were doing, they were living it, right? Yeah. We're talking about two different, talking about several different time periods and several different groups of people. So the people that we're talking about right now, as we are mm-hmm. reading, is the nation of Israel assembled around the tent. So they were living it. And so what they did on Shabbat, we're not exactly told, but what we have from our Jewish people in synagogue worship is a holdover, a a carry forward of what they must have done on Shabbat. All right. Because what happened is they did this for 40 years and they got into the land and then they scattered to their various places. But the, but the temple, the tabernacle was put in Shiloh. Mm -hmm. And so they likely had, services of some kind, worship gatherings, because he told them to assemble every Shabbat. Well, if you live in extreme northern Israel or extreme southern Israel, you can't go to Jerusalem to, or you couldn't go to Shiloh right. from way up north every Shabbat. It's a 10-hour journey. Right. So they assembled somewhere on Shabbat. People, a lot of people think that the synagogue worship didn't start until the time between the Testaments, the 400 years between Ezra, you know, the last prophet and and John the Baptist. They think that's when synagogue worship began. I don't think it is. I think the form of it may have matured during that time, but I think they had somewhere where they would gather, even if it was just outside, in order to assemble and worship God. Can't prove it. There's no document that tells us exactly what they did in the time period between Moses and Ezra. Right. And as a matter of fact, we do know between Joshua and Ezra, they never kept Sukkot. We know that biblically. It says it in the book of Ezra or Nehemiah. I think it's Nehemiah where they finally kept Sukkot and it says they had not, they had not kept Sukkot since the days of Yeshua. Being noon. Mm. Wow. It called him, it called Yehoshua Yeshua in that context. And that's another clue to me that Yeshua was born at Sukkot because it references the seed of Yehoshua and Sukkot at the same time. Mm. They had not kept Sukkot since Yeshua being noon, since the days of Yeshua being noon. So they kept Sukkot when they got to the land. Every year, but when when Yehoshua died, they didn't do it anymore. They went, they got laissez-faire about it, so they may have lost what Joshua set up in regard to weekly worship, and that's why we don't have any record of it. But we certainly have record of it from the time of Ezra going forward. I know that was a long answer, but I hope it didn't. It wasn't confusing. Well, it's not. But um, my, my I guess my main question was: the tablets were in the ark. And when it came down to them teaching in in the places, in the, the places that they gathered, um, did they, they have a copy it. of it? Huh? Yeah, they, they transcribed it. I'm at Joshua. Remember, okay. they, were, 
Every leader was supposed to transcribe a copy of the scroll and put it on his horse. Right? You remember that? Every leader? Every king. God okay. told them in the Torah, when you get into the land and you have a king, he's to inscribe two copies. He's to write two copies of this Torah and put it, carry it, carry one on his horse into battle. Remember, so I thought about that. It was the battle plan. So, yeah, they transcribed it. I imagine that that's what Yehoshua did when he was in the tent of Moshe every day is rewrite that Torah over and over and over and distribute it to the people. Absolutely. OK, gotcha. All right. That's that's that was my question, because I just, uh, I'm sorry I went so roundabout with it. But that was good when you went there, because that, that still was good. But question okay. seemed a little more roundabout than your. <laughs> well, and, and guess what? In Hikalut, the Torah will be riding on a horse. That's right. <laughs> Amen. That's another. Yep. Yeah. Foreshadowing to that. Um, you could say he's writing his Torah scroll right now. And I've said it before. He's, Yeshua is writing his Torah scroll to carry on his horse in our hearts. He writes it. He's been writing it for 2000 years. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All right. Daniel, and it was, it was the case that they memorized the Torah? A lot of them did, yes. A lot of them did. But, but the general, the common people didn't have time to memorize. They had to work. But the scribes did, and the the, right, right. the prophets, some of the prophets did, and uh, um, there's, I think it's again, it's been 20, 30 years, but I think there's even evidence that when you did your bar mitzvah, you memorized the whole thing. Today they just do their one portion, but um, they were aggressive teachers of the Torah in the synagogues, very aggressive. Um, you know, there's evidence in the Gospels that the fishermen and the tax collectors and the people that the common people that they knew the scriptures. They they may not have been in that had their nose in them every single day, but they knew them. OK, and they were able to cite certain verses. But uh, so, you know, a little bit of elaboration during that 400 years between Ezra and Yeshua or 600 years between Ezra and Yeshua. Um, they had a public school system and Antiochus Epiphanes shut it down for three years and their public school system was the synagogue and all the children, the boys, went to synagogue every day and were taught by one teacher if there were less than 20, two teachers if there was anywhere between 20 and 40, all right? And they learned the Torah every day. And then they went to synagogue on Shabbat. And then on Sunday, they go back to the synagogue to study some more. All right. So it was proliferated. They were a very educated people. All right. So, yes, I believe it was rewritten and rewritten and rewritten and rewritten all the time. And that's what the occupation of the scribe came to be. Is yeah. someone just that's what they did. And, and I can I ask you something? Sure. Um, I did have. I was under the impression that they were um, literate people, all of the entire nation. I just said because that. no, no, no. The question is the following: because the Girl. Christian tradition thinks that the apostles, for example, were people that did not have an education. Yeah, yeah. That there. That is. 
the general understanding in the Christian world. I've heard many people say it, including some of my professors when I was in Bible college, that they were ignorant. And that is just anti-Semitism to me. Oh. They, were, they were an educated society. They were all literate. And um, I was going to say something about that, but now I derailed myself. Maybe about the tradition, the oral tradition. Huh? I say maybe about the oral tradition. No, I didn't have that in my mind. Um, oral tradition was certainly there, and it was passed down in the synagogues. They had certain teachings, but you got to remember, um, things did split. There were already splits in Judaism in the second century BC. Um, after the Maccabean revolt, then you started having all these denominations popping up, and that's where you get Sadducees versus Pharisees. And the house of Shammai and the house. And then the Pharisees split the house of Hillel, the house of Shammai. And then you had the Essenes, another sect, and the Zealots, another sect. So you had at least five or six sects of Judaism when Yeshua showed up. But they were literate, certainly. Um, I had something else I was going to say, but I forgot. So we'll move on. Didn't the Essenes write uh, the Torah? Oh, yeah. That's that's what the Qumran scrolls are. Right. Absolutely. Right. And they right. almost match the Masoretic text, almost letter for letter. They're, they're, they're so very close. There's other scrolls also that they wrote there, but that's, we can, we'll probably talk about that a little bit more when we get to the Greek Hadashah because that's a, that's a New Testament era phenomenon. But they were, the Essenes of Qumran were probably there about 100 to 200 years before Yeshua as well. Um, they separated themselves. I think that's what Essene means. Something about separating, going away from or something like that. And they lived a, they're kind of like a, you know, a monkish type of society. We visited that Essene community. Yep. I remember. Very isolated. Yeah. Austere too. Very yeah. Austere. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. And when he has made an end, I'm in verse 20, of atoning for Hakodesh, the Ohelmoid, the Mizbeach, the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall, we did this already. No, we didn't. And Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of B'nai Israel and their transgressions and their sins. What does that remind you of? The, the prayer that we studied recently. I don't know. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, that was it. It was all in there. The attributes. Yeah. Yahweh, Yahweh, God. Merciful and gracious, abundant in compassion and truth, guardian of compassion unto the thousandth generation, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sins. We have it in the same order right here. So this is hearkening back to God being merciful and gracious, abundant in compassion and truth, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. We were supposed to go over iniquity, transgression, and sins. We never did that. 
We just did in Hebrew class. <laughs> no, I'm talking about a little deeper than that. <laughs> you remember that? You remember we, we said did we did do that. We did do that. You was probably out. But <laughs> <laughs> so everybody knows what iniquities, transgression, and sin, the difference between they those should. three. I remember going over it. They should. I remember telling you iniquity is innate. It's inside of you. It's there. It's the sin nature. Transgression. What's that? That's that's harming other people. Sins. Offenses against God or yourself. Pretty sure we covered it. We did. Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> but we can review it, Daniel. Yeah, huh? it's always good to review. Yeah, it's good yeah, to review it. it. So we I just wrote it down, so I mean, I, well, I see go that. back to the study of Exodus chapter thirty-four and look at it because we had to have done it there. I'm chapter pretty sure we did. If if you go back and look and it's unsatisfactory, then we'll do it again because I'm sure we're going to run across these same three words again. Yeah. Okay. But I think it is there. And so we have a reference for our video people that might have missed the Shemot Exodus 34 study, but it's there. Pretty sure it is. I mean, yeah. but you, you summed it up. Iniquities, sin nature, transgression, harm and others, sin against God and self. That's right. Okay. And he shall put them upon the head of the goat and shall send him away by the foot what upon the head of the goat? His hand. No. No. That blood, no? It's the sin, sin, transgression. Iniquity, transgression, and sin. Oh. Big things. He's putting those iniquities, transgressions, and sins on the head of the goat and send the goat away by the hand of an appointed man into the wilderness. All right? And so the Mishnah does say that they go into Midbar, by Midbar. The wilderness. The wilderness. You shall put them on the head of the goat, send him away by the hand of a man into the wilderness, and the goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities unto a land which is cut off. He shall let the goat go in the wilderness. Does it say anything about Azazel there? No. No, it doesn't. Mm -hmm. This is not an offering to another God. This is God is not going to tell us to make an offering to a demon. Absolutely not. Right. All right. And so Azazel, the word means the departure of strength. I already told you that, right? Right. Yes. And so the strength of sin is talked about. The strength of sin is the Torah, right? The Torah tells us what sin is, and we can't help but do it after the fact. <laughs> it's like, oh, there's some fun stuff to do. <laughs> just like Eve, just like any child, when you tell them, don't go over there. Well, there must be something over there I'm missing, so I'm going to go, right? And it's going to a land which is cut off.
You know, I just was thinking this uh, come to mind that um, there are those who the the replacement theologists, for instance, who say that the Jews were disobedient and rebellious and right, but the first rebellion occurred. Eve wasn't Jewish. That's right. Eve wasn't Jewish. There was no Israel. But they just represent all of mankind. Yes. And and yeah, and what they don't realize, and I mention this pretty frequently, is that every one of us were inside of them, half of us in in Chava and half of us in Adam when they sinned. Yeah. Yeah. And so we are all guilty. Adam, you know, the book of Romans says it. In Adam, everyone dies. In Messiah, everyone lives. All of us were in Adam. And that's this is kind of goes back to what we were talking about when we were talking about the women's issue. Um, the, the propensity to sin is inherited because we were in Adam when he sinned. Right. And yes, Adam was ultimately responsible, but Eve instigated it. So her punishment was different. Both of them got punished, right? Right. So but what that did is, is it put the onus of sin and the propensity, the, the iniquity inside of every one of us. Right. We can't help but be driven to sin until we come to Messiah. Right. And, because, you know, our Jewish people manage their sin to some degree, but they don't realize some of the sins that they're committing because they're, they're, they're trying to be righteous in and of themselves, mm-hmm. which itself is, is, a, is a sin. And also in Genesis, it says uh, in Genesis three, when he's talking about the uh, the punishment, I mean the consequences that they're facing. God, uh, God, it says, and Eve was the mother. Her name was her name was called Eve, Hava, because she was the mother of all living, and that shows you that everything that was transferred for me. That's that's when God first first spoke to me and showed me that this was. 20-something years ago, and I was like, oh my God, he just spoke to me, because he explained that this is why man is born in sin, because all sin that was passed down came through Eve, which she's the mother of all living, and I was like, my mind was blown, I was like, God spoke to me. (laughs) Absolutely, and that's a truth that a lot of people can't wrap their heads around, and so yeah, they do put a label, a sort of a we they mentality on the Jewish people. They're so horrible. Luther was horrible in in proliferating that concept. Yeah. The, the, the Jews are just unredeemable people, is what he said. Um, that's, that's horrible. It is horrible. Everybody's redeemable. That's right. What arrogance. I know it. Um, have any of you, uh, have any of you guys ever heard of, uh, uh, Johan Hus? No. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't know about him. Who has? I have. Yeah. Very interesting person. Um, he's from, you know, if you look at the map from his day, it would have been called Bohemia. Uh, but I do know that he spent a lot of time in Prague. I think he might have went to university there or something. But 
he's the he's the first he's the he's a bigger and earlier he's a he precedes luther by about 100 years and uh he's a first uh an earlier protestant than luther was and executed for his protestation against catholicism and he interesting interestingly i'm right he's he's a character in my novel just a small character um because i've known about him and i wanted to sort of point people to him but um he interestingly he was very concerned about the headship of the congregation being yeshua and what have i been hammering on (laughs) yes so um and not an anti-semite like luther was okay or what's that name again daniel Johann Hus, H-U-S-S. You, you can you can just type in John Huss. Okay. And you'll find him. If Thank you, you. If you're trying to do some research on him. Very interesting guy. All right. So he puts the iniquity on the goat, sends it away into the wilderness, into a land cut off. Eretz uh, Gezerah, I believe, is was the, uh, the phrase. Yeah. Eretz Gezerah. That to me is probably alluding to the same thing that Azazel is alluding to. And that is a carrying away of the strength of sin, a carrying away. It's like a foreshadowing of God doing away with sin because that goat is carrying the sin with it on its head, right? Mm -hmm. So you want to take it to a place far enough away from you where you can get rid of the sin. And that is, again, alluding to the pit, the bottomless pit. That's the idea of a bottomless pit is that people that are thrown in there or the lake of fire, people that are thrown in there. Never come back. Never come back. back. That's that's, that's 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 a part of the story, too, where when sin is found, that person that has sinned, and I don't remember what passage said, but the reason why they're cut off and move, removed because they want to remove sin from the camp. Exactly. So that's, that's the same picture. Exactly. And that's why we have to separate from people who are in the body of Messiah, but persistent and willful about doing things that are egregious, like Matthew, um, like Galatians chapter five tells us. It gives us a list of the sins that we have to deal with in that way. And the problem is, is some people in the Messianic community want to deal with every tiny little sin that way, what they think is sin, which is not. There are people who would cut you off out of their congregation if you came during your weekly cycle, if you were a woman. Yeah. All right. And that's just ridiculous. Those are not the sins that we're dealing with in regard to the body of Messiah. The body of Messiah is not yet. It's not physical. It's a spiritual place and it's very literal and real. I think I asked that question um, when it came to the synagogue. I, I think I asked Halal, uh, Edwin. And um, when it came to the synagogue and how they kind of treat it like it's the temple, you know, with, with, with the cleansing and all of that stuff. And, and he was saying, I guess it, what they teach is because the Torah is there, that makes it clean and and uh, 
as if it was the temple. And that's why they do that. I'm like, well, then they better not ever defile their house in any way because they carry, they have their Bibles in their houses. Mm. It's just illogical. It's, and it's, it's, and and he didn't say that. God didn't say he. That's not an exactly. instruction. Exactly. Yeah. It's just it's an overreach. It's the fence around the Torah. Mm. Um, it, it's an over zealousness in regard to trying to be righteous in and of yourself mm -hmm. right all right which is impossible it's impossible that's right Aaron shall come into the oil moed back into the tent of meeting and shall put off his linen garments which he put on when he went into hakodesh and shall leave him there and he'll bathe his flesh in water in, in a consecrated place and put on his other vestments and come forth and offer his Olah and the Olah of the people and make atonement for himself and for the people. And the fat of the Chatat shall he make smoke upon the Mizbeach, which is the outside altar. And he that lets go the goat for Azazel shall wash his clothes and bathe his flesh in water. And afterward, he may come into the camp. And the bullock of the Chatat. So why does this guy have to wash? He was touching that goat. He was touching that goat. Right. And on that goat, iniquity, transgression, and sin was heaped, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And the bullock of the Chatat and the goat of the Chatat, whose blood was brought in to make atonement, shall be carried forth without the camp. That means outside the camp. And they shall burn in the fire their skins, their flesh, and their dung. And he that burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his flesh in water, and afterward he may come into the camp. And it shall be a statute forever unto you. And here's where it tells us today. In the seventh Chodesh. On the tenth day. On the tenth day of the Chodesh. You shall, you shall afflict your souls and you shall do no manner of work, the homeborn or the stranger that sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you from all your sins. You will be clean before Yahweh. It is a Shabbat Shabbaton unto you. And you shall afflict your souls. It is a statute forever. Forever. All right. Leolam. Bayad. Bayad. In the seventh Chodesh, on the tenth day of the Chodesh, hopefully you remember a Chodesh is a lunar cycle. Mm-hmm. The Chodesh is the visible, first visible crescent moon that begins the cycle, which is a 28 point something to 30 point something days. It varies. All right. So you're counting the seventh one from Passover. The Chodesh that established Passover is one. That's Chodesh one. Seven months later, on the 10th day of the month, that's Yom Kippur. We didn't say this was called Yom Kippur in here, but it was named to some degree. This day shall atonement be made for you. Yom Kippur from, comes from kapar, which is to atone, to cover over, to hide, to conceal, to cleanse you. From all your sins, you will be clean before Yahweh. A Shabbat Shabbaton. A Sabbath of Sabbaths, if you will. 
And what I want to look at is you shall afflict your souls. Because there are people, and we're going to get to this again in just a few chapters, but I want to go ahead and look at it here. We'll revisit it if we need to in a few chapters, Tracy. Tracy? (laughs) (laughs) What did you say, Tracy? Shabbat Shabbaton. It took y'all a while to get it. I was trying to make a joke. The initim et nafshotechim. The initim et nafshotechim. You shall afflict. Aleph Tav. Your souls, your nefesh. Your nefeshot. All right. There are people who think that that just means to, oh, just be forlorn and grievous. But we learn from the book of Ezra that this is a fast. In the book of Ezra, it says we afflicted our souls and fasted. All right. So that is why we fast on Yom Kippur. One day. That is the only command, that is the only fast that is specifically commanded by God. Israel, the nation, has five or six other fasts. They are not compulsory. Um, I have known people who want to participate in them, and I'm like, okay, go ahead. But for one thing, some of them we know absolutely nothing about why they fast on those days. All right. The other thing is, is they are not commanded by God. Yeshua nowhere alludes to them in any way. And so they are not compulsory. And Israel has fasted for modern days of grievance. And I don't I'm not opposed to that. And if I did live in Israel, I would probably join them on their other fast just as a show of camaraderie. But. If they were to start telling me you're not righteous if you don't do it, that's where I'd have to part ways. People think I'm too literal. That's probably why we have about 10 people who study with us. (laughs) But that's how I see it. All right. But the important thing is, is this is a fast. And I'm going to save looking at Ezra for when we get to Leviticus 23. Okay. Is everybody cool with that? Yep. I just wanted to preview it here. This is a fast. The affliction of the soul is accomplished by the fast. All right. On this day, atonement will be made and you'll be clean before Yahweh. It is Shabbat Shabbaton. And the Kohen who shall be anointed and who shall be consecrated to be Kohen priest in his father's stead shall make atonement and put on the linen garments, even the consecrated garments. And he shall make atonement for Kodesh HaKadashim, the Holy of Holies. He shall make atonement for the Ohel Moed, the tent of meeting, for the altar, for the Kohenim, Mm -hmm. for the people of the assembly. And all of this whole chapter is an everlasting statute to make atonement because of all their sins once in the year. 
Mm-hmm. So this must have been given to Moses on the 10th day of the month. Either that or we just get this statement because Moshe followed up and did this every year. Hard to say. But this is narrative as well as it is commandment. Does everybody understand what I mean by that? No. Yeah. No? No, he's telling them what they did as well as what they're commanded to do. Right. No, this, this is being written as if they did it that day. So he spoke and said, speak to your brother, tell him he's only to come into the temple once a year. This is what he's going to do. He's going to make atonement, make atonement, make atonement, make atonement, make atonement. And then it says down here at the bottom, and he did it as Yahweh commanded him. So this is narrative as well as, as well as command. Okay. Thank you for clearing that. Show that because I missed that. Okay. We only have 12 minutes left. I don't want to get into another chapter and have to stop too quickly. So does anybody have any questions or comments? Don't everybody jump at once. I, uh, I wanted to say uh, that this may be the last time I might be able to join Torah study. What? Yeah. No, it's because I, uh, I might be starting college classes again this next week. And Thursday may be one of the days I would have to be in class. So, well, shoot. Yeah. I uh, just want to say thanks for everything. Thank you very much. Um, if I can, if I can scoop in some of these days, uh, like a bit off day or something, I'll try it. But uh, yeah, Thanks. it's been good. It's been good having you. So I hate to hate yes. to be going already. I know, Daniel, Daniel. You should have had your video. I would love to have seen you. Yeah. Post it on our private page. Because I can. Well, you know, you know, one comment about our lesson is whenever, whenever I come across or see that part about the the two different goats and the one for, uh, for Yahweh, I always, oftentimes I'll hear um, Paul's uh, admonition to make our lives a living sacrifice to, to Yahweh. Oh, there's Daniel. Hi, Daniel. (laughs) Where you at, Daniel? Did he reveal himself? Yeah, he's his picture yeah. there. I don't yeah. see him. Hello, Daniel. Hello, everyone. I don't see him. I don't see him either. You don't see my screen? Hit, hit the oh, arrow there you down go. at the bottom. Hey, Daniel. Yeah. <laughs> there he is. Look at that big hairy man. <laughs> Still going. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> we miss you, man. I know. I miss y'all too. It might be oh, two is. years. I don't know. Aww. You said two years. Maybe, yeah. Aww. Maybe a year. We'll see. Okay. Right. Get to work, man. Finish and get back down here. I know. Yeah. <laughs> so awesome. I don't know. The longer I'm here, the more it's hard to get away from it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> no. All right. Well, let's pray. Okay. Avinu Malkinu, our father. Our King, in the name of your Son, Yahweh, Yeshua, Mashiach, we do give thanks for your word. We thank you for clarifying it for us. We ask you to continue to do that. And anything that we uh, did not 
uh, accomplished tonight. Truthfully, let fix that for us, and we thank you for that. Uh, we ask you to be with us for the remainder of this week. Bless all of our, our loved ones who could not be in this meeting with us. And uh, we do ask you to visit us with us on Shabbat when we assemble in the name of your son, B'Shem Yeshua Mashiach. Amen. 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 Thanks for tuning in to listen to this week's Torah study class. In the description, you'll find all the links to our website and social media content. Please make sure you're subscribed to our podcast, as we can be found on all major podcast platforms. If you feel compelled to support this ministry, please feel free to do so by donating via the Get the Word Out link in the description. All proceeds go toward growing this platform and the Mikdash Mayat ministry. Until the next time, we pray God blesses you with shalom in the name of Yahweh Yeshua Mashiach.